The views expressed on this episode of My Take Radio do not reflect the views, thoughts, or feelings of the My Take Radio staff, My Take Radio advertisers, or My Take Radio content partners. Listener and viewer discretion is advised. This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. Again, without the mute. What's up, guys? My Take Radio, episode 244 for Thursday, September 18th, 2014. I'm your host, Rich, and our caller number is 347-324-3541. Again, that caller number, 347-324-3541. Uh, for those of you tuning in for the first time, My Take Radio is a variety show covering mixed martial arts, professional wrestling, gaming, and entertainment. As of yesterday, My Take Radio now airs every Wednesday and every Thursday at 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific, bringing you the latest opinions, news, you name it. We talk about it with regards to MMA, wrestling, gaming, and entertainment. Uh, the wrestling portion of the show aired yesterday, uh, Wednesday, and of course today we'll be talking gaming and entertainment. Uh, a couple of things before we get into tonight's gaming and entertainment segments just bringing everybody up to speed. Uh, first and foremost, those of you that tuned in last night for our MMA and wrestling show, definitely want to thank you guys for that. And for those of you that are curious about this new format, uh, realize that this is going to be the format going forward. Now, the reason for this is obviously it makes it easier to edit the shows and turn them around quicker, but I also feel that the separation between our audience is something that it's unavoidable. You know, the MMA fans don't want to hear about the wrestling. The wrestling fans don't want to hear about the gaming, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So splitting it this way works twofold. Number one, it works for me just because it lightens the workload a bit, uh, just dealing with a lot of exhaustion and a lot of editing and stuff. And usually if we go two, three, four hours, uh, the editing time usually takes four hours between audio and video, sometimes a little longer and doing it this way really does lighten the load. Uh, we noticed that, especially this morning. Uh, last night's show, we finished it at around 1230, 1240. Uh, it took me half an hour to edit the audio portion. It took me an hour and a half, uh, almost two hours to do the video portion. But we were able to get it uploaded bright and early this morning. So those of you that up, uh, updated your iTunes, Stitcher, tune in radio or whatever other feed you guys use to get the show probably already consumed and listened to the MMA and wrestling portion. Now, a couple of people asked me today, um, you know, that they really enjoyed listening to the show with 
you know, the full the full gamut. A lot of guys were saying that they listened to it on their commute between AM and PM, et cetera, et cetera. But like I said, this is um, going to be the way going forward, and I think it just works better. Like I said, we were able to edit and crank it out fairly quickly. All right, so some of tonight's topics, I want to get into the controversy surrounding Destiny, which a lot of people are very torn about. I kind of want to dig a little bit into gaming journalism and, um, you know, the thing that gets me with this and, um, you know, Slick just messaged me and I'm probably going to bring him in momentarily to discuss this just to have an extra person to bounce this off of. Um, the fact is that the the outcry with regards to Destiny has been very, very mixed. And I say this from a couple of different perspectives. Uh, first, I want, as somebody who reviews games and, you know, shares an opinion on the product, I have to admit that there's always a rush to judgment because people aren't spending su- sufficient time with the game. On the flip side, I also feel that if you're doing this as a job, you always have to be ready to jump back in and change your stance or update your opinion in order to make things, uh, you know, more worthwhile. And and that's one of the things I kind of want to touch on because, like I said, there's been a lot of outcry, especially on Twitter, a lot of people just talking about uh, gaming integrity, journalism integrity, and I want to get into that a little bit, and I think Slick is going to be a, a great person to bounce this off of. Um, of course, we're going to talk about some of the other releases and other announcements uh, with regards to gaming. We got a decent number of, of things to discuss on the entertainment side of things. Uh, one thing in particular I want to dig into is the upcoming uh, Marvel releases and DC releases, just because some interesting news came out this week, and I want to get into that as well. Just a quick recap, our call number 347-324-3541. You can also interact in our chat. And watch uh, the live video either on mtrlive.com, gfqlive.tv, or of course you can listen to the stream via Mixler as well, which we actually have players on both the Rageworks and My Take Radio fan pages as well. But like I said, lots to discuss. Let's get the ball rolling. Let's talk some games, shall we? All right, so um, like I said, I want to bring Slick on because this is, um, I want to kind of talk about the Destiny thing first because this is a a pretty big deal and I want to see where he stands with regards to um, a lot of the stuff that's been floating around, so let me bring him in real quick. Slick. What's up, man? What's going on, buddy? Not much. A little bit of this twice a week format working out pretty well, I think. Yeah, so far it's it's working really well. So... I wanted to, to kind of bring you in to bounce this off of you a little bit and see where you stand. Um, as, as you are and everybody else listening is well aware, Destiny had an incredible amount of press coming, uh, coming up before its release. Um, there was a huge outpouring of support. Gamers were super excited. There was an alpha release, a beta release, and of course, the full release of the game. And after so much positive press for both alpha and beta... A lot of companies and a lot of journalists, um, independent and mainstream, are not viewing the game as favorably as they should. Now, you, much like me, obviously review games for the site, and you know that sometimes you need to spend a little more time 
than you know pr companies allow in order for you to get a real educated opinion on games i mean you can vouch for this as much as i can that there are instances where pr has given us the game code or sent us the game a day before it hits the stores we've had that happen or hell sometimes on the release date now obviously this can be uh, attributed to wanting to get the codes to the bigger sites first and then kind of filtering out some of the smaller outlets but Do you agree that the lead time for reviews sometimes skews the score a little bit? Absolutely. I mean, anybody that's reviewing a game, you know, quote-unquote professionally, should be, you know, if they're being given the code, a download code or a copy of the game by the company, depending upon what kind of game it is, like if it's an arcade-type game, I would say at least a weekend. If it's, you know, like a... A sandbox type game at least a week, and if it's an RPG, honestly, you need at least two weeks to a month before the game comes out. Okay. Now taking that into and, go-, go ahead. I mean, if you're not if you if you don't have credentials with IGN, pretty much somebody like that, you're pretty much not getting that. Well, let's 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 use a good example. Let's use GTA as as a, a great example for this situation. As you know. GTA isn't exactly a linear game. GTA, you know, is a game that between side missions, everything else, it's a it's a very time-consuming game. And say you have a week of lead time. Do you feel that that amount of time is going to give that amount of time given to you is going to allow you to get a um a more educated opinion on a title versus, you know, having 2 weeks or even 3 weeks at, with the game? Under normal circumstances, no, but with using Elite GTA 5 as an example, the way it released, it would have been enough time to review what was available because at launch, the online wasn't available. It didn't come out for at least a month right. after launch. So a week would have been enough time to give a fair review of the, um, the offline content. Okay. Well, I'm going to I'm going to I want to pull up Metacritic for a second. I know that you've used Metacritic, you've cited it a lot when we're discussing certain things and you always say, "Hey, you know, I checked out Metacritic for this and for that." So, looking at Metacritic right now, Metacritic is trending uh Destiny at a 77. The user score is an average of 6.6. Now, with that said, obviously, um a publication like Game Informer gave the game an 88 out of 100. And, you know, other sites, their their opinions varied. Again, there were 72 critics reviews and 1,100 user reviews. Do you feel that users are rushing to judgment and not really embracing the gist of the game? Because a lot of people were saying that, you know, you got to play the first raid. You got to deal with certain aspects of, of the game first before formulating an opinion me personally you know i got to play um i believe it was the alpha build or the beta build one of the early builds of the game i like the concept uh the only reason i didn't pick it up was a because we didn't get a review copy b just because there's been so much other stuff going on that it hasn't afforded me the opportunity to play it and review it correctly and this is one of those things where i'm seeing a lot of independent journalists sharing um on Twitter, primarily that they're that they're gonna wait about a week or so before they publish their reviews because they feel that they that they wouldn't give the game a fair shake. 
Do you agree that that's the right assessment with a game like that versus, especially because Destiny relies on so many other so many other online components? Well, I feel it is fair to wait at least a week because while I haven't played Destiny, right. I don't have you know I don't have anything bad to say about it. I just felt that it wasn't for me, but. I, within some of the uh, game communities that I, I check out, I've had people that when they were playing the the um, the beta, the closed beta, they were going crazy. They were like, I can't wait to play this game. I can't wait to play this game. And then right. when they got it, they still loved it. But now that they um, have had it for a week and change, they're not saying that they don't still love the game, but they're attitude towards the game is starting to change. Right. Like, I, I had people that were consistently trying to get me to play the game just because, you know, being their friend, they wanted me to play with them. Well, not and to... And I had one person in particular tell me today who was one of the people that was, you know, consistently trying to get me to play the game. He said, look, you would hate this game. Well, here's, he explained why. Well, here's one thing, not to, yeah. not to cut you off, and I, want, and I want to bring this in there. I feel that a game like Destiny, given what it's been, what it, what has been put into bringing this game to life, is going to really be enjoyable with a group of friends. And I actually felt that that would be that this game, considering how well you play Dead Island and some of the other co-op games with with you know some of your own friends and you know the, the interactions you have, that that game was genuinely tailor made for you. Now, obviously, the MMO component isn't for everybody but again you know it's it's a brand new ip and i just felt that so many companies and so many so many journalists and i'm gonna use the term journalist as as a whole but i'm not gonna use it all encompassing and the reason i say this is journalists are ign polygon the verge and gadget gizmodo games game spot etc 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 journalists you want to know why those are journalists because those guys are paid to do this this is their career this is their livelihood those of us that are sharing our opinions and maybe we're making some money maybe we're not we are i I always like to say opinionated pundits you know what i mean there's i i feel that the journal the the journalist moniker is tossed around way too i you know it, it sounds it sounds uh childish to say but way too willy-nilly you know what i mean just oh every i'm a journalist he's a journalist you know you're a journalist it's like no 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 we are we are opinionated pundits who whose opinion is respected by our peers simple as that and to see that and to see so many people upset about it uh first of all anybody that's rating the game a seven out of ten an eight out of ten you're you're not really saying the game is shitty like people have become so enamored with scores and it's funny there there's a there's a guy who's who's pretty well well known in the industry his name is Torrance Davis and he's he actually said on Twitter that he challenges sites to d- review titles without using scores. And it got me thinking if games would be viewed differently if you didn't use the metric of a score. And the reason, you know, I I interrupted you for that was because I wanted to pose that question to you, especially because, you know, you look at sites like Metacritic. If a game didn't have a score and had a genuine review that you had to kind of invest a little energy into reading an opinion and then forming your own, do you feel that that's something that's more beneficial 
Or do you just feel that that's just a way of not acknowledging a flaw outright? Because a score is a score. You know, if you say something's rated a five out of five or a five, excuse me, or a five out of ten, it's 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 plain as day. I would say a score doesn't really mean anything. It's just that people in general are lazy and don't read. Right. My thing is a, a score may indicate that a game is flawed, but it doesn't necessarily mean that a game isn't worth playing. Right. Using, again, an example that you brought up earlier, Dead Island. Glitchy as hell. Yep. To the point where sometimes it just stops working. Right. The online, at least on the PlayStation, is horrible. Right. It takes us sometimes an hour just to get connected. And okay. I'm not exaggerating at all. But it's still a game that I love, a game that I will encourage anyone to play, especially since you can get it for like 15 bucks right now. Hell, they gave the first and one away for free. <laughs> you know that because I downloaded go. it. You got it free. Yep. But it's like, as on a technical end, you know, in terms of a finished product, right? I could not honestly give Dead Island a high score. Okay. I would actually have to give it a mediocre to maybe a low score as a finished product. Okay. Because even with patches, the game is fucked up. Makes sense. I, I can understand that. As a game that you can sit down and play with your friends when everything's working right, it's fantastic. Just because you can play the game, go through the story, or you can just fuck around with your friends. Well, you know what's funny? Isaiah in the chat said, people have to understand that this type of game is going to to go long with raids and dungeons. It's like a World of Warcraft with content dropping over time to make the experience better. You have to look at Destiny like an MMO and not as an action game. And I have to agree. Like, I think people just wanted to jump into this game on some run-and-gun bullshit, and they didn't realize, not not that they didn't realize, but they didn't take this and, and respect the fact that it's something different and it's something unique. You know, it, it, it's crazy. People, people are, are so adamant about putting labels on things. And this is why, like, even though we score stuff on the site, we... We try to give you guys, and, and Slick, you can vouch for this better than anyone, we try to give you guys easily consumable content. You open up one of our reviews, you'll know within the first 10 minutes if you're going to buy the game or you're not going to buy the game. We're not going to give you a 10-page dissertation on why we do what we do or or why you should buy this game or why you shouldn't buy this game. The whole point of doing this is to ensure that our voice is unique and original enough and that you can, that that how we feel is relatable to you guys in an easily consumable format. If you want to read a five page review on a game like Destiny or a game like Dead Island, then go to The Verge or go to IGN or go wherever because there you're gonna get that. You're gonna get that really, really lengthy game where they're gonna talk about screen tearing and shading and you know uh graphical discrepancies, etc. We're gonna get into is the shit worth $60? Yes or no? And I think that people, there's a there's a niche for that. And I, you know, I take pride in, in, in uh, you know, all of our staff being part of that niche and giving people exactly that. Do you want to buy the game? Yes or no? Does it suck? Yes or no? What don't we like about it? X. That's it. Here's a score. You agree, you disagree with the score, but we're going to give it to you that you're going to form an opinion within the first, you know, 10 minutes. 
We don't need that. You Like I said, you want to go to the big sites and read a five-page review? Knock yourself out. I'm going to go to what's good, what's bad, and should I buy it? There you go. You know? Which is all anybody really cares about. Right. Because I remember back in the days where all all you really had to read was things, places like IGN because nobody was doing shit like my take radio and rage work. And I, I used to read through stuff like... Yeah, there's a lot of screen tears and shaggy. It's like, but is the game fun to fucking play? Exactly. And and it's funny you know because... Mean? All this technical information that I don't fucking understand at all. Or and care about. probably don't either. Or care about. probably doesn't really either. Well, you know what's funny? I wanna, I'm going to read you an excerpt from the Game Informer review. Just the first paragraph. Mind you, this, this review is actually a one-page review. I got to give credit where credit is due. And the first paragraph goes, Great expectations have followed Destiny since its announcement. As the latest brainchild from the Halo creators at Bungie, the game has garnered a level of anticipation only exceeded by the massive hype machine that declares its not-to-be-missed potential. Bungie's new game is not a gigantic or rev- or as revolutionary as the hype may have led some to believe. In fact, it has several features that feel like missteps or problems. But that doesn't change the fact that the more I play it, the more I love it. See that? Quick and to the point. You don't even got to scroll down to the bottom to read the score. That right there gives you, in a, in, a, in, a, in a very nice nugget, what you need to do. You know, do you want to play the game? Don't you? It's not perfect. It's not as revolutionary as they make it seem, but you may enjoy it. I mean, the worst things that I've heard about Destiny were that, you know, things that would interest me or not interest me is that story-wise, it's weak because, you know, it's just focusing primarily on group play, which nothing wrong with that at all. Right. And, um, like, you know, with the share play on the PlayStation 4, I've seen some fantastic screenshots of the game. Right. Like, a friend of mine took a shot where he was, like, standing on a cliff and overlooking this, this you know, sprawling city. He was like, here's the bad news. Sprawling city? We can't go there. Yet. In <laughs> other words, you, if you see it, that doesn't necessarily mean you can go there, which is a problem with a lot of games. And I, I responded to him. That's one of the reasons why I keep telling you about Dying Light, you know, the upcoming game that I said is the real success of the Dead Island. Right. Because one of the things they made it a point, they keep beating it into your head. If you can see it, you can get there. There you go. Well, if they make good on that promise, there's almost no way for that game to be bad. Well, you know, Isaiah says, give me an MMO or online-based game that has a long story and a, or a long good story, and you can't name it. Titanfall's story was weak and short and wasn't really a story at all, but the online was great. You want to play a game for story? Go get The Last of Us or Uncharted. He, he, he makes a valid argument and a valid point, and it's true. There, there's, a, there's a unique audience for these types of games. And like I said, you're, you're going to get all these special raids and you're going to get all these special events. And, and you know, the game isn't just hop in, play online with a couple of your buddies and hop off. There's, there's a strategy to it. It's the same with world of Warcraft, same with league of legends, hell, same thing with, with Diablo that people like, you know, even though Diablo, you could play on your own, still a game that, you know, has, has a place with group gameplay. Now the thing, like I said, that gets me is just the 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 fervor and the and the vitriol from people about the game 
And it's just like, but have you really applied? Have you, did you take part in the first raid? There's a video online that shows the fir- the, the big raid today. And the people that part that participated in that raid, Slick, if you see it, you'll be like, holy shit. It blew my mind. I said, wow, I, I, I would have loved to have been part of that. Because that's how real that shit was, you know? I hear you. But one of the things that um, might actually stand out, a reason why people can actually talk a little bit of shit about Destiny and games like that, the, re- the, the reason being would be Grand Theft Auto Five as a game. Okay. And the reason why I say that is because, and I've said it before, Grand Theft Auto Five is $60. Well, it was $60, but it will be again in November if you're getting it for next for current-gen systems. Right. But for that $60, you actually got two games. You did. Because Grand Theft Auto Five and Grand Theft Auto Online might take place in the same same place, same scenery, right. some of the same characters, okay. but it is not the same game. Okay. Makes sense. I, I the can... thing is, like I said, my friend said Destiny, the, the, like, the story component was weak. The story component for Grand Theft Auto V, whether you love it or hate it, it's not weak. No. It's got dozens of hours of gameplay just for the offline story. And then there's the online story, which goes on and on and on. This is true. Well, so that's yeah. two distinct games. And, you know, why aren't other companies doing this? What do you mean? Why aren't other companies giving you that satisfaction for $60? My, my, one of my, my biggest arguments for people who wanted me to play Destiny is, one, it's online only. So if I want to play it at 2 o'clock in the morning, honestly... I don't want to play with random people. I want to play with the people that I always play with. Right. can't do that if they're not away. Okay. So I, I like the concept of having an offline component that I can sit and enjoy on my own if the people I want to play with aren't available. But there is an offline component. You can't really do that in this. There is an offline yeah, component. I'm not saying there isn't, but it, it's, not, it's not the same type of thing. Oh, yeah. Well, at that point, you're just going to take the opportunity to level up your character. See, this is what I was talking about with, you know, the comparisons to World of Warcraft. You're going to take those opportunities to level up your character and get involved in those big-ass raids and those big-ass moments. You know what I mean? Because that's how, that's how you want to jump into that type of a game. I just feel that people were ill-equipped to understand the overall concept. I think people just expected, excuse me, I think people just expected, oh, it's another Halo. You know, it's it's from Bungie. We're going to get another Halo. Yes, we're going to shoot shit and we're going to blow shit up. But there, there's still a science to it. And I just feel that people didn't give it a fair shake. And the crazy thing is the game sold $325 million in copies in five days since it was released. But even though the game, which is uh, which was considered a huge undertaking by Bungie and Activision, you know, five hundred million was invested into the game over ten years, which is insanity. The game's PS4 version ranks a seventy-six out of a hundred on Metacritic, and while the site, you know, is is weighing some outlets' reviews more favorably than others, as it's been said, um, the fact is that it still holds clout with companies like Activision. But I'm gonna be honest. 80 out of 100 is not terrible. You get no, what I'm saying? It's not terrible at all. But if you're saying the game was being developed over 10 years, honestly, and I'm not, again, I'm not calling the game bad, but I would have expected more. Okay. 
again, we go we go right back, and I'm not comparing these games. I'm just using an example. You go back to Grand Theft Auto Five, which Grand Theft Auto Four came out what in 2008? I believe so. Or 2000. Basically, a year after that game came out, they were they were working on Grand Theft Auto Five, if not earlier. Right. So half the time and double the experience. Okay, well, I want to I want to paint this and 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 we can move on and t- and tell me if this is right or wrong. Destiny gave the gave players the opportunity to participate in both an alpha and a beta build well in advance. So, you knew what the fuck you were getting into. You get what I'm saying? Like this wasn't a bait and switch or any sort of a surprise. You had two betas. Two an alpha and a beta. You you had access to it, whether it was by invitation only or not. Rick, it doesn't. It do, there's there's. It doesn't matter. People got to play the shit in advance. So none of this is a shocker. You know the game. It's it's a mixture of 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 first of F, of FPS and and MMO. And that's what it was from the onset. And that's what I. That's what bothers me. Like I can understand if you were a victim. Uh, of the bait and switch like we were with aliens colonial marines which you know was a fucking bait and switch and (laughs) you know that as much as i do and and that's what i'm saying like if it was on that level i could understand the anger and the frustration but it's like you had two opportunities let me let me let me backtrack a second you know when they show a movie in theaters and before it hits theaters they show it to the critics and you kind of have an idea of how the movie's going to be based on preliminary results and then the movies that aren't shown to the critics most times suck yeah yeah the, this game was the same way it was shown to the critics it was shown with ample lead time and like i don't know and people lost their mind thank you like i just don't understand the big the big shock from so many people like Oh my god, it's like you did you play the alpha? Yeah. Did you play the beta? Yeah. So what the fuck is your problem? Simple as that. I'm serious. Well, this much I will say in defense of Destiny. Go ahead, I bro. mean, people are maybe complaining, but again, the game's been out for what is it? 10 Two weeks days now, maybe. Well, and yeah, the other betas and all that. Yeah, so the the official live copy well, I mean, has been the out. Full, the full release. Yeah, the, the full release has game. been five days, I think. Five days officially. Uh, no, it's more like a nine or ten because it came out last Tuesday. Yeah. And we're okay. Almost at Friday. All right. Well, you know but, when they, um, when I got I mean, my notes, it the said game's five been days. Out for a freaking week. Right. People can calm down because there's downloadable content. I mean, from what I understand, the game has you visiting three. You know. Three planets and the moon. Right. And there's at least two or three more planets coming. But but he, like I said, dude, it's like watch the video of the first raid that was released. When you see that, you go, "Holy shit, this is why I, I'm I, this is why I'm playing this shit." And this is what gets me. It's like you knew what you were getting. You know, too many people must have thought, "Oh, it's Bungie. It's going to be another Halo." Not everybody wants another Halo, and if they do, it's going to be called Halo. You know what I mean? You're not going to reskin Halo and release it as something else. Don't get me wrong. Plenty of companies think they can do that, but you know, it's it's a new it's a new generation of games, you know? It's a new IP. L- let it marinate, you know? I would definitely say it, it's too early to start shitting on the game, especially the people who were going crazy from playing the beta and now they're ex- I don't know what you were expecting. Thank you. 
I don't understand it, dude. I don't understand where the anger and the frustration comes from. And again, freedom of choice. Nobody put a gun to your head and said, yo, you got to buy this game. No one. Simple as that. Now, I kind of want to switch gears a little bit because I want to talk about um, WWE and 2K sent me an email that they are um, changing the release date for WWE 2K15. So for those of you that are looking to pick up the game uh, in October, you're going to have to wait till November 18th if you want to pick it up on Xbox One and PS4. Now, if you're going to pick it up on PlayStation 3 and 360, October 28th is still going to be your target date. Now, I'm mentioning this because obviously the game is is looking impressive. It's it's looking great. But do you think that that much of a of a spread between the current well the the previous generation and the current generation release is is going to hurt the game in the long run? No, and if the game needs polish, I don't, I probably think that's not enough time. Okay. Fair enough. Now, now they're saying it's exactly that. You know, they want to use the development time to ensure that uh, 2K15's next-gen experience fully meets our expectations. And you know what it is? I mean, the amount of time is going to be something that's up for debate. But if you're really, if you're really jonesing to play it, you're probably still going to be able to play it. It's, you know, what the problem is, I'm assuming that when people play it on current, you know, well, on on previous generation consoles on the 360 and the PS3, you're going to hear, "Oh, the graphics don't look that good." Or and and, and the crazy thing is that the graphics are probably going to look fine, but people are so fucking used to the new graphics that they'll automatically find fault with the ones that are probably going to be okay. You know that shit's going to happen. Honestly, that should be the response. There should be that much of a difference where if somebody got the game or first saw the game on PlayStation 4, Xbox One, or PC, if it came out for PC, okay. that if they went and looked at the Xbox 360 and PS3 versions, they'd say, wow, this game really doesn't look as good. And the reason why I say that is take games back when they were coming out for PS3 and 360 and they were coming out at the same time for PS2 and Xbox. Right. The PS2 and Xbox versions didn't look so good by comparison. But if all we had were the PS2 and the Xbox to look at, we would have been like, wow, this game is fantastic. This is true. Uh, but but I also feel, taking that taking what you're saying into consideration, that you're, you have to look at the game on each system with a fresh set of eyes. You can't compare it because you know for a fact that there's a delay and that the new game, you know, the next gen console, uh, the well, the current gen, I always I, I hate using the next gen term. Um, you know, the current generation is going to look just as good. And that's kind of where I feel that people are going to get bent out of shape because they're going to be so they're going to start comparing right away. You know, it's either you pick it up on current gen and you move on or you wait until until November 18th. You get what I'm saying? I just don't want the success of this game to fall into the school of thought where you're comparing a PS3 version to a PS4 version and that's what you're using to gauge your opinion. You have to look at each game as its own individual entity. And that's kind of where I stand with it. Like me personally, if if we get a review copy and we get it on the PS3 or the 360, great. You know, whatever. We're going to review it, but we're also going to make sure to review to look at it and review it on next-gen consoles and the experience may be completely different for different reasons. Well, that's and you know, that's why I'm glad that games like Arkham Knight are only coming out for current gen. Right. 
because you know the developer can focus on using that that console potential and not worrying about what the you know the people with the old console are gonna get. And I mean, I don't try to say that to point at them like you ain't got no ice cream, but <laughs> it's like <laughs> it's like um, what you said is true. Two K fifteen on PS three and PS four. Honestly, it, it, the difference is going to be graphical. It's going to be the same game. Right. And if it's not the same game, it shouldn't be the same price. This is true also. The PS4 version or Xbox One version should be $60. The last-gen version should be 50 or less. I, and that's I can agree with also that. an issue, but, I mean, we can go on for the whole show just on that matter. Well, I mean, you, you know, with, with that... That's one game, and, you know, it's a game we're going to be monitoring very closely. But on the flip side, uh, Smash Brothers demo for the 3DS hits uh, Club Nintendo members and all users. Well, is currently available to Club Nintendo members and hits the general public tomorrow. Well, I should say in 20 minutes at, at midnight. So, um... Club Nintendo owners receive four download codes via email, and obviously they want you to share that code. And um, the game is going to hit stores officially October 3rd. Do you feel that Nintendo is utilizing the right strategy for this? Because it's not every day that you read that Nintendo's releasing a, a demo for a fucking game like this, especially on a handheld. At least it's news to me, but I like it. You know, I like the press. I like how Nintendo's slowly creeping up on everybody with some solid titles. And especially with what I've been seeing for Smash Brothers, it looks really, really good. Well, I think with this, with Smash Brothers coming out on a handheld, it was incredibly important that they do a demo. And I had seen some guys on, I forgot what it was, but it was someone on YouTube talking about it. And the reason why I say it's good is because one of the guys who was actually talking very highly and was speaking very highly about it said that, when I first heard the Smash Brothers coming out for the 3DS, I said, he, he was basically like, why? Like, why would you release this game that's always been for consoles on a handheld? I mean, the, the controls won't work right. And he played it. He's like, when I first played it, it was a little bit funky. But now that I've had it, had it for a few days and played with some friends, it's like I'm getting the hang, you know, the hang of the control, the control difference. And it feels just like I'm playing on a console. And it looks good. And, you know, yeah, I mean, there's not too many, well, there's really no first-party 3DS games that look bad, but right. the, uh, just the concept of, you know, applying the, the Pokemon concept to, to um, Smash Brothers has incredible potential. And especially if, you know, the Amiibo uh, characters come into play, that's just going to be insanity. Oh yeah, it's going to be insane. And I wanted to bring that up because it's one of those things where you're looking at it and you're seeing a, you know, just like I said, genuine interest. And I wanted to bring that up because obviously, you know, the you're going to get unlimited play and you get a couple of characters. And, um, you know, the game, the game I feel is going to move a lot of units October 3rd. I think it's going to make a lot of money. I'm just, I'm just curious to see how it affects Wii U sales when it drops because 3DS is always going to be uh, the number one handheld and that goes that that's without question the question for me is going to be what is it going to do for the Wii U that's the bigger that's the elephant in the room you know 
Well, I definitely think that Smash Brothers is going to move um, move units, and depending upon how they market it, it could really move units because, again, just to use a random example, um, take uh, PS take PSN's cross buy system. Okay. Nintendo Nintendo has now made it where your um, your Wii U ID and your 3DS ID are the same. When Smash Brothers comes out on on um, Wii U, they've, they've made it clear that it's going to be somewhat a different game. Right. But, you know, have similar characters and, you know, the same type of setup. What if you can take your Wii U characters or, you know, Amiibo characters that you have put on the Wii U, you know, transfer them to your 3DS when you go out for the day and sort of train them so that when you come home... You're stronger than the opponent that kicked your ass online the day before. Right. If they do something like that, you know, tie the games together in some way, that's going to move even more games and more units. I agree. I I definitely can agree with that. I do feel that Smash Brothers has incredible potential, and I think Nintendo's starting to hit their stride and is starting to figure out what they got to give people to make them happy. Now... In talking about the 3DS and talking about just mobile gaming, um, you know, besides the 3DS demo releasing tomorrow in a, in a few, you know, in 20 minutes, so to speak, um, we know that Apple announced their brand new iPhone 6 and iPhone 6 Plus. Now, everybody's talking about the iPhone 6 and the iPhone 6 Plus because, you know, it's a bigger phone, iOS 8, all the usual shit, and everybody's fighting, and, you know, the Apple fanboys are shitting on Android and vice versa, but I want to acknowledge something very interesting in an an article I read on GameIndustry.biz, the executive president of EA Mobile stated that he believes that the Apple iPhone 6 has technical specs comparable to the PlayStation 4 and Xbox One in terms of performance. Um, according to uh, to Frank Gibault, he said uh, the iPhone 6 will narrow the gap between smartphones and game consoles. Uh, the iPhone 6 is utilizing, of course, an A8 processor, which is rumored to have a 1.4 uh, to have 1.4 gigahertz and be backed by one gig of RAM. The um, the 4.7-inch iPhone 6 is going to have a 1334 by 750 resolution. Meanwhile, the 5.5-inch iPhone 6 Plus has a 1920 by 1080 screen. Now, bringing this out and talking about these specs, do you share the sentiment that the leap in technology is that comparable between a, a cellular a cellular device and uh, a next gen, uh, a quote unquote next gen console. Do you agree with that school of thought? And the reason I say this is because I I have here a Samsung Galaxy Note three. Uh, the Samsung Galaxy Note three, uh, for those of you that are uninformed, is a fairly fairly large phone, and um, a lot of people, you know, may cr- cracked a lot of jokes about the size of the phone, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And these are the same people that are running to the store tomorrow to buy a five and a half inch iPhone 6 plus now aside from that I have to admit that my, my my phone is pretty powerful multitasks quite well lets me do a lot of things and um, I think that the iPhone in in all its in you know all its technological magic definitely has something to offer I just I, I personally am hard I, I'm, I'm hard to convince that it's comparable to something next gen. It's just it just seems odd. I understand definitely that the visuals will be good, 
But I just, I have a tough time believing that. I mean, am I the only one? Do you agree? I definitely agree with you. I mean, I'm sorry. A cell phone is never going to compete with a console on a 55-inch TV or better. I agree. Simply well, because go ahead. You know, you're not going to get that level of detail on a freaking, even a 6- or 7-inch screen. It's not happening. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to toss you're in. You're not getting... Go ahead. Uh, go ahead. Finish your thought, bro. For the foreseeable future, you're not playing Grand Theft Auto V on an iPhone. It's not happening. This is true. I look at I look at it like this, and and I when we went when I went to the um to the Samsung uh, Galaxy Note Four unveiling where they unveiled the Note Four and the Note Edge, we got to spend some time with the Oculus VR. Now the Oculus VR is in partnership a partnership between Samsung and Oculus Rift to allow you to use um, you know virtual reality immersion powered by a mobile device. And the beauty of it is you take your um, Oculus Rift or your your Gear VR in this case, you slap your phone in there and um, you're able to play in a, in a virtual reality environment. And the first experience I had with it, and you can read the full write up on RageWorks.net, is that I went in, they slapped the phone in, they put me in a Coldplay concert. It was pretty cool, you know, I looked up, I could see the lights, I looked down, you know, you can see the foot pedals and stuff, you can feel like you were in the audience, but it definitely felt like it needed a bit more polish. Now, the second go-around was, and and this is the this is the kicker, the second go-around was uh, playing the uh, the gaming portion, and I want to I wanna switch over and try and pull that up, um, just because... We we got to check out, and I'm going to see if I can pull it up. We got to check this out, and, you know, we got to use Samsung's proprietary controller, and it definitely had a lot of unique features, which I said to myself, you know, this is definitely going to be, this is the future at work, but it still needed some polish. I want to try and pull this up because I want you guys to see it, and obviously me and, uh, all right, so... Here I am playing the Samsung Galaxy Gear VR or the Gear VR. Look at me wearing that giant fucking head unit. Who's going to do that for more than an hour? Are you going to do that for more than an hour? Wake my fucking neck doing that for more than an hour. Well, the other thing I wanted to show you, I will say this. Samsung definitely is is showing us that they can they can definitely bring something unique to the table and i think in that respect they do have a firm understanding of you know just doing something innovative and unique but again powering it with quote unquote next gen or comparing it to next gen here's the f- the full unit for gaming comparing it to next gen is definitely not the same in my opinion now the reason I say this is because while I, I do feel that the Apple hardware is deceptively powerful, it's a whole other ball game. You know, it's like it's like you're not watching 1080p 3D movies on your phone. It's not happening. You're not you're not cranking out that much power. You're going to probably play a couple of handheld games, maybe watch some YouTube, you know, play a couple games while you're in the toilet, maybe some porn. 
you know, and that's going to be it. You're not going to be hardcore playing on extended quest on this type of a platform. You're going to be playing something small, easily consumable, and, you know, just easily accessible. Again, not to take anything away from Apple, because I've always said, if anybody's going to change the face of mobile gaming, it's going to be Apple, because they continue to improve their hardware and cram a lot of power into, you know, really, really well, and, and, and people are going to debate me on this, really, really innovative devices. Because whether you love Apple or you hate Apple, whenever Apple comes out with some shit, they change the market. Even even now, even now where, where, where Android fans are complaining because Apple is quote-unquote joining the party with NFC and bigger phones, yeah, that's fine. And it's true, Apple is late to the party. But I guarantee you, anybody who hasn't put a phone out yet is going to put out phones comparable to what Apple is putting on the market. You know? But definitely the the loss of Steve Jobs is very much apparent because back in his day, you know, rest his soul, if he put out an iPhone 6, it wouldn't be quote-unquote copying what Android is doing. It would be doing something different to make Android now, again, need to step up their game. Well, it, it's interesting that you say that because um, I, I, I took a couple of days um, and I've been reading Steve Jobs' book, the last book put out by um, Walter Isaacson. And um, the, the funny thing is, in reading that book and just reading about the guy's thought process and, and the guy just being a fucking machine, you know, it's it's weird because for for me, I felt that in, in seeing this announcement, I was hard pressed to feel the same way that you are. And I'm going to I'm going to clarify why um, Steve Jobs was all about innovation, carving your own path, um, set, you know, creating your own rules, being a force of change on your own terms. And while sure, you can say Apple's late to the party with all this stuff, you got to remember, Steve Jobs didn't even want the shit that they that they're doing now. You get what I'm saying? That's what I'm trying to get at. But Apple is... If people are saying that Apple's late to the party, when Steve Jobs was around, he would say, fuck you, I'm having my own party. Right, but even now, they're still having their own party because even now, you're still releasing two phones in two sizes, you're still changing the game, you're still moving millions of units to the point where people are probably not going to be able to get phones on launch. Yes, is the iWatch a little bit hokey? Sure, but still, in the smartwatch battle... They're going to force people to change the game. They're going to force people to adapt and evolve. And even in this case, now with regards to mobile gaming and, you know, the, the, what, you know, to bring it back full circle. Yes, they do have powerful hardware, but they're, they don't got companies like Capcom or, or, or Sega or, you know, companies like Bungie dropping games on, on iOS yet. We're not there yet. When that happens, then we can have the conversation about comparable, um, you know, comparable issues between next-gen consoles and, and, a, and a cell phone. We're not there yet. You know, you're going to pick up... All I was going to say on that... Sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. All I want to say on that comment is, look, look who it came from. Granted, they make tons and tons of money. They, they freaking print their own money, practically. But EA, on the subject of gaming, <laughs> not the sharpest tool in the shed. This is true. I, I can agree with that. Um, 
But I, I did, I did, like I said, I wanted to pick your brain on that. Uh, two other things I wanted to discuss, obviously, Microsoft's purchase of Mojang, which was huge, um, acquiring Mojang for $2.5 billion. And the funny thing is, everybody's like, oh, I don't understand how, you know, Microsoft is paying all this money just to get Minecraft. And people don't look at the bigger picture. Minecraft is recognized not only as a game that allows people to utilize a ton of creativity, but it's also a game that's widely accepted by adults, children, professionals. They've used it to do renderings of, of different places. There's multiple uh, there's multiple applications for a game that's basically a virtual form of Legos. And Microsoft, what they did was they they scooped it up because they're gonna they're gonna make Minecraft a bigger part of of the Microsoft brand. My, Minecraft is gonna be one of those things where they're gonna be able to use that technology for other things. Like people don't understand that. Yes, even Legos. Let me tell you, there's a there's a website. Some people may know it called Lifehacker. And Lifehacker put out an article a couple of months back about interesting uses, interesting uses for Legos outside of, of play. And this is things like making keychains, making a cell phone holder, etc., etc. And yes, you know, it, it, you're, you're gonna build, you're gonna build a, a Lego sword or a Lego boat or whatever. But the the fact Dude, that somebody you, made a working Lego car. There you go. But the fact is that you're using you, nothing but Lego. You're encouraging creativity. And Microsoft knows that Minecraft, regardless of how you feel about it, is a household name. So rather than share the pie, they just took the pie off the table. That's it. You know? And I mean it's it's gonna help them in the long run, but I personally think that it's it's not smart thinking. I mean, it is financially a smart move because now you can say, you know, fuck you, Sony, you don't have Minecraft anymore. Right. But I don't think it's a smart move to buy up existing things. I mean, it's like we've said many a time, out of the three companies, the one taking the least risks is Microsoft. You don't buy up an IP that, you know, something's safe. I mean, you can you do that to have you know have a base and everything, but you have to make new IPs, and that's what they're really not doing. No, they're I mean, not. Yeah, you got Titanfall, but Titanfall. I mean, it's it's, it's been done. I mean, it, it's been a great game here, but it's still been done. Rise didn't do so well. Well, and I, go ahead. What else you got? Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna spin this in a way that um you know make of it what you will, and this is how I see it, and. Microsoft buying up Minecraft is just strategy. The same way Sony's bought developers and Nintendo's, you know, scooping up IPs. The fact is that they're trying to limit the players in the sense that, you know, we, and I've said this and and you, you probably remember this. I've said that the only way that the console race in, you know, the next gen console race is going to have a clear winner is based on exclusivity. We've said that both you and I, and by securing something like Minecraft, you just secured exclusivity. Whether you bake it into Windows yeah, 9... It, it also hurts the fans. It, but but does it really? They don't really care about, they don't care about money. But yeah. I'm just talking from both sides of the fence. But does it really, though? Because the best Minecraft experience is still on the fucking PC. Let's be real. <laughs> Which, again, is on Windows. I mean, it's on Mac, too, but you know what I mean. Yeah. I just mean like when I when I think exclusivity, I don't think like 
Street Fighter going to one of the, the big three. But I think exclusivity, I think Mario and Nintendo, Kratos on, on PlayStation, Master Chief on Xbox. Okay. IPs that started in one place and stayed there. I can see that. I understand. It's like, I just feel like they, they shouldn't be so much trying to grab up these companies versus actually think like It's like what I say about movies all the time. Like, fucking think. Think for yourself. Stop fucking copying everything. No, I, I see that, but like I said, in the big picture, they're trying to just limit the playing field. And it's it's a smart strategy. They got the money. But to, to borrow your point, you spent the money. Do something good with it. Simple as that. Yeah, Agreed? let's not have another rare situation. Yeah, seriously. Let's not. So... Two other things to wrap up the uh, the gaming news for this week. Uh, Need for Speed Rivals is getting a complete edition, and we know how much you love Need for Speed Rivals. Um, <laughs> hitting stores October 21st, it'll be available on PS3, PS4, Windows PC through Origin, 360, and Xbox One. Uh, the complete edition will include six DLC packs released for Rivals since its launch last year. Um... You're going to get a whole bunch of cars, cop and racer versions of the GTA Spano, the Lamborghini Sesto Elemento, and, you know, the cars from the Need for Speed movie. Plus, you're going to get the Loaded Garage Pack featuring the Ultimate Cop Pack, the Ultimate Racer Pack, Premium Livery Pack, Muscle Livery, Track Day Livery, VIP Mat Kit, and Digital Revolution, plus the Koenigsegg Aguera 1 Supercar. Now, the game has been out an entire year. <laughs> And you want people to go and buy a complete edition all over again. You you reviewed it. You know you know the deal with the game. Where do you stand? Ladies and gentlemen, if you like the Need for Speed series, don't fucking touch this game. It's a piece of shit. Let me actually elaborate on that. <laughs> it's not a terrible game, but it gets repetitive about less than an hour into playing it. Okay. Because all you do... You don't even really race. Even when you race, it's it's just about, like, destroying somebody's car. And not in a good way, like, say, with burnout. It's just because taking down a car takes forever. Okay. It's not like you can, you like, with burnout where you can slam somebody into the wall. Right. You might get lucky and, like, you know, come up on a split and slam somebody into a split. But that shit doesn't happen very often. You gotta like destroy somebody's car to get them to stop. Yikes! And it gets boring really, really fast. It's a little crazy, a little bit. I thought about picking it back up just because I'm one of those crazy completionists that tries to get all the damn trophies. But <laughs> I looked at it and I was like, my honest opinion was, fuck this game. <laughs> and I don't like to say that because it's like. I really don't like to say that because, you know, it sounds really biased. Right. But, I mean, if you want to play a Need for Speed and you haven't played Need for Speed in a while, go get Most Wanted 2012 because it's infinitely better. People shit on that game, too. It's infinitely better than Rivals. Okay. Because at least there's, there's things to do. Right. Because Need for Speed Most Wanted 2012 is... A serious burnout clone, and everybody knows how much I love burnout. Yep. So at least there are things to do. The races are interesting, and it's like there aren't five versions of the same damn car, because <laughs> even speed rivals, there's like five versions of every damn car. Oh, fuck that. And it, it doesn't even make any sense. It's crazy. Because they don't do anything special. It's craziness. Well... 
I figured I'd ru- I, I I had to share that with you, and that's one of the reasons why I brought you on. And um, we're gonna close it out with this bit of news. And this this next bit of news may irritate you, and probably irritate a few people in the chat. So, a district attorney in Marin County, California, is hosting a buyback program. Now, as many of you know, you know that buyback programs are usually utilized for guns. Am I right? Yep. Okay. So. This district attorney is hosting a buyback program for residents, and they are buying back toy guns and violent video games. The reason that they're doing this is to highlight issues of domestic violence during the month of October, which is considered Domestic Violence Awareness Month. District attorney Ed Berberian is working with the Center of Domestic Peace and Ben and Jerry's Ice Cream for the event, which is going to be held October 4th at Novato Police Headquarters. Participants will receive ice cream. So before I move on, I am trading in a violent game, a $60 game, for Ben and Jerry's ice cream. <laughs> Let me, it gets better. As, and this was his statement. As we know, domestic violence incidents always, almost always have children present, and these children develop over time imprinted images of family violence, Barbarian said in a written message. These children then carry those experiences into their adult lives and often repeat the pattern of violence in their own family units. Barbarian said that ridding homes of toy guns and violent video games offers a chance to change today's modeling patterns. Barbarian previously hosted a buyback program for real guns that accepted 857 weapons and paid out more than $100,000. The program ran out of cash on site and improvised with a voucher system for roughly $70,000 in payments. Now, before I get your opinion on this, I did I did want to share an interesting statistic that was shared right after this art, right after this excerpt, and it's this. A 2013 poll found that 58% of adult Americans believed that playing violent video games could contribute to violent behavior. That same year, President Barack Obama directed the CDC to research the causes of gun violence, including any impact video games could have on young minds. The study has yet to be published, and it's run into a few funding issues, partially because of a 1996 law supported by the NRA that prohibits the CDC from using federal federal funds for studies that advocate or promote gun control. So, the first part of this article was a buyback program for toy guns and video games, which was to... Let me get this straight. Increase awareness with regards to domestic violence. And then to close it out, you cite a poll from a year ago citing that 58% of Americans believe violent video games would contribute to violent behavior. So let me let me ask you this. When Ray Rice decided to play punch out with his fiance in the elevator, do you think he played a violent video game that inspired him to do that? Or do you think he was just a fucking complete bag of shit? Because last time I checked, I don't think there was any game that taught that taught me to punch a woman in the face and drag her out of an elevator by one leg like a caveman. Unless you're playing Custer's Revenge on Atari. Still, does this make any fucking sense whatsoever? Ray Rice was just upset. He didn't get the cover on Dad Madden. Well, but but think about this. That's all that it was. This that that may very well be true. But think about this. You are you are using this to highlight 
Domestic Violence Awareness Month. Toy guns, violent video games. Where is the correlation? Because I'm I'm still confused. I understand the 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 synergy to a degree, but there's more to it than that. Well, dude, you know, I had to come to your house and take your super soaker because I was afraid you were gonna beat your wife. Thank you. How, but but is that really? crazy? Is that not crazy? Mortis says I would buy a violent fifty cent water gun and trade it in for ice cream. Isaiah adds. California is full of shit, and the science already provides that violent video games do not make violent people. He also adds, I grew up with Nerf with, with Nerf guns and playing Resident Evil and GTA. I'm not a murderer. He also went on to add that people don't know shit. Mortis adds, I played violent video games growing up, listened to evil metal, and competed in mixed martial arts. I work at a non-profit, no-kill animal shelter, helping cats and dogs get adopted. My violent upbringing, my violent upbringing makes me want to save animals. So, dude, in Grand Theft Auto 3, I clearly recall climbing to the top of Kenji's Casino and raining, and I literally raining rockets on the street to make the, the, the army come out just so I could get a tank. There you go. In Grand Theft Auto V, the online version, I literally sniped a guy five blocks away in a helicopter. I sniped him with a rocket launcher. How? I, I, I still don't know how I did it, but I did it. Right. I've never touched a real gun in my life. I've I've never been a fan of guns. I've I'm I'm an advocate of, of, of not, you know, uh, of I just don't believe in them. And I'm going to say this. And, you know, we're going to wrap up the gaming segment, go into entertainment so we don't we don't drag the show into, you know, three hour territory. But I'm going to say this, you know, I've shared I've shared stories of my upbringing. And if it was one thing that you saw growing up in New York City in the late 80s or in the 80s and even into the late 80s before people really started becoming more and more involved was domestic violence. And I think I talked about this. How many times in your in your life have you seen a dude slap his girl around? Or his sister. Thank or you. Sometimes even his mother. Thank you. Now, the reason I say this is because do you really think that that guy was playing a violent video game an hour before he decided to do that? No, I don't think so. Do you? I can put this way. My uncle was, you know, has, has laid hands on women. More than once. Thank you. And, you know, I know why. Thank you for sharing this because. fucked up from Vietnam. There you go. But I I thank you for sharing that. I thank you for sharing that because that is, you know, that's, you know, sharing that that piece of real world just allows people to connect with us better. And I'm actually looking at an email I got while we were having this discussion. I want to share that, you know, when we close out the show. But do, do you see what you just said? The guy ha- came from Vietnam. He's put his hands on women. Gaming has zero to do with it. Zero. But the shit still happens. If you were buying back toy guns and violent video games to increase awareness for young people shooting each other, then the- it holds a bit more weight. But you're using one thing to put a Band-Aid on another thing. You know what I mean? Stupid. It's crazy, isn't it? 
the shit people do for attention. That's all I'm gonna say because that's all it really is. It it it. Listen, I I I, I admire what the guy's doing. And again, you did a buyback program. You gave away a hundred thousand dollars. You took eight hundred and fifty-seven weapons off the street. These are weapons that could have killed women, children, um, you know, working people, police. I respect that. I admire that. And I think that that is definitely a bigger part of what needs to be acknowledged. But don't use one thing as the as the as the horse to pull the cart with your other agenda. You know what I mean? Like if if you if you take pride in removing 857 guns off the street and paying out $100,000, that is fantastic. That's great and I admire you for that contribution to society. But again, don't use the horse that 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 you're riding in on to pull a cart full of bullshit. Don't do it. If you're riding in on your horse and you're and you and you're, you know, majestic and heroic, don't say, "Oh, and by the way, here's this bullshit I want to serve." It's stupid. On top of the fact, you want me to give you a 50 to 60 dollar game for some Ben and Jerry's? Are you fucking crazy? So you guys can take Dude, it's it's like it's like yo, it, it it's like I want to punch you in the face for thinking that I want to trade a $60 game for a $5 pint of ice cream. Get out of here. It's 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 insanity and I wanted to share it. They're going to give you a big fucking tub. Dude, they better give you a tub the size of this fucking the, the size of my television tower. You know, the, the size of my home theater, a, a corner of my home theater. This better be ice cream that I am eat, that I can begin eating Sunday and I won't finish till the following Sunday. Let me let me let me put it to you like this. When I was a kid, I went with my mother to Western Beef. And for those of you that don't know, here in New York City, Western Beef is a uh, a very large supermarket. And a lot of times they sell very large versions of. Of some of your regular staples. I mean, you can go to Costco and buy an industrial uh, sized can of coffee. But in Western Beef, you will find an industrial sized can of sauerkraut. You will find an industrial sized can of just just terrible things. So I decided (laughs) to take money out of my allowance and buy a can of pudding. This can of pudding, (laughs) Slick, was the size... Of the monitor that I am using to do the show. I have a 17-inch a monitor. You are looking at a 17 a 17-inch can of pudding that I proceeded to open with a handheld can opener and eat. I started eating the pudding Sunday. I was still eating the pudding Tuesday. The reason why I share this story is that's how big a can of a, a tub of Ben and Jerry's better be. For me to give you a $60 game, you know what I'd do just to be an asshole? I'd buy every shitty copy of, of just, just a terrible game like Wet and turn it in and just take all the ice cream. I'd give, I'd give every copy of Wet for, for them to, to take, for me to take all the ice cream. I'll be like, I don't know why this guy had so many copies of this game. He must be incredibly violent. And I share, dude. And I share this because you see how insane and how stupid that sounds. That's how stupid the rationale in this art in that article sounded when I read it. Simple as that. Anything else you want to add? Next week, we're just gonna tell you about what happened to him after he ate all that pudding. Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna share something and TMI or not. I uh, the pudding (laughs) the pudding did give me the shits. It did. 
but I did proceed to take that can with me into the toilet while I was on the bowl because I had a habit of doing that when I was a kid. So, yes, putting on the way in, putting on the way out. There you have it. With that said, is there anything else you want to add? No? No. All right. Let's get into the week's entertainment news, shall we? So let's open things up with some box office totals as the weekend belonged to one Stringer Bell, a.k.a. Idris Elba, as No Good Deed took the number one slot, earning $24.5 million, followed by Dolphin Tale 2 at number two, Guardians of the Galaxy still in the top five, earning an additional $8 million, bringing its grand total to $305.9 million. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was in number four, earning an additional 4.8, bringing its total up to $181 million. Let's Be Cops came in at number five. The Drop was number six. If I Stay was number seven. The November Man was number eight. The Giver was number nine. And The 100-Foot Journey was number 10. Now, it's been pretty quiet. And it's going to continue to be fairly quiet, I believe, up until middle of October and then into the holiday season. Um, Considering that No Good Deed, which looked which looked fairly, fairly solid, uh, was number one in the box office. Do you think that we're not going to see an overwhelming success in the box office until the Hunger Games comes out? Do you agree with that statement? Um, Yeah, I mean, I'm glad to see the Guardians are still doing so well. I mean, I. I don't think I heard you right. Did you say that, that Maze Runner didn't even make the top ten? Maze Runner, I believe, comes out this week. I thought it came out Friday. Mm. I'm checking while I'm talking. Check to see. I think Maze Runner, there's a, there's a whole bunch of movies coming out uh, this Friday for some reason. Just like a whole bunch of just random shit. No, you're right. It does come out uh, today. That movie looks incredibly promising, but I just have a feeling it's it's just going to be bullshit. Uh, I, I think I have a free movie ticket. I want to use it to check it out. Well, you know what it is. I seeing that and seeing that Guardians of the Galaxy remains in the number five in the top five. It came out in August. We're approaching October. Still, still, still cranking out box office numbers. And you know what the crazy part is? I bet you most of that eight million dollars can be attributed to repeated viewings. At this point, hell yeah. Th- exactly. And, and, you know, it just it just paints a very, very interesting picture for Marvel. And I wanted to share that because, again, you know, I, I like I want to see Drac- Dracula Untold. You know, my wife wants to see The Hunger Games. Um, I shared a clip from The Equalizer with Denzel Washington, which looks very good. I definitely don't see The Equalizer making, you know, 20, 20 or 30 million dollars. But you never know. Denzel Washington definitely has box office appeal. But I do like that Idris Elba definitely, um, you know, got himself a number one movie in the box office. He, he's a very underrated and, ex- and extremely talented actor. So and, you know, you know, Taraj P. Henson is a good actress. Also, um, her work in Person of Interest is is fantastic. So um, definitely well deserved. I'm sure that No Good Deed didn't cost that much to make. So, um, you know, it's definitely good to see it uh, make some good good money uh from what i've heard the film is looking they're expecting it to make uh 70 to 75 million dollars by the end of its run and here's the crazy part and i'm gonna i'm how much do you think it costs to make that film 
the no good deed? Yeah, give me give me just a random number. Let's see. Probably under ten million. It cost very close. It cost thirteen million dollars to make that movie, and it made twenty four point five. How crazy is that? Gentlemen, we have a winner. There you go. So I ju- I just wanted to share that with you guys. So I want to switch gears one second. Um, you know, Star Wars, of course, is is going to be in the news for the foreseeable future, along with Batman versus Superman. But um, in the mi- in the midst of all that news, we know that they're going to do spinoff Star Wars movies. And one of the concepts that's being tossed around, especially this week, it's picking up a little bit of steam, is a standalone film for Obi Wan's character. And it's funny because when I read that, I said, you know what? If anybody deserves a spinoff film just to find out more about uh, more about him, the Obi-Wan character definitely works. Because think about it. After the end of the first trilogy, after he, you know, pretty much essentially created Darth Vader, we fast forward to, you know, him training Luke to be a Jedi. But it's like, what happened during that time? You know, it's definitely a very, very interesting direction to go in. Um, And even though they've said that they didn't initially, they wanted to stay away from Jedi and Sith characters, I definitely feel that Obi-Wan definitely can can be the one to stand on his own in a, you know, in a spinoff film, because I think his character has a lot to add to the story. There's so much that, that, you know, viewers don't know um, just because it, it, you know, you fast forwarded from the last film, from the last film in the prequels to, you know, him training Luke and then obviously dying at the hands of Vader to, to there, there's gotta be some good stuff you could throw in there just to make his character that much more interesting. Do you agree? Hell yeah. I mean, just the fact with all the stuff that we have seen in between, like, um, Force Unleashed, I mean, right. there's so many people hunting Jedi. Like, how the hell did this guy stay under the radar? Exactly. You got it. That's exactly it. I mean, like, you got Yoda. Yoda pretty much literally went and hid under a rock. I don't want to say hid, but yep. lived under a rock. So, I mean, we know how he did it, but it's like, Obi-Wan didn't spend all his time on the freaking desert of Tatooine. He nope. couldn't have didn't i doubt it dude and i think that there's a great a great opportunity to really expand on the mythology and i'd love to see that i mean there's rumors that they want to do a solo you know a no pun intended a solo hand solo film or a boba fett film but if anybody deserves uh some expansion in his story it's obi-wan period and get ewan mcgregor i think ewan mcgregor definitely would kill it if he still wants to do it Isaiah had to correct me. He goes, just to clarify, Obi-Wan died on his own. Vader didn't kill him. True. I mean, I don't think Vader would have won that fight, but that's a whole other argument. Yeah, I mean, you know, in theory. Darth Vader hit the fucking, his robe, and he fucking evaporated. Unless that motherfucker was made of dust, he's dead. (laughs) (laughs) Simple as that. Unless uh, unless we're talking 1966 Batman where they turned all the fucking guys in the UN into dust, Obi-Wan was fucking dead. That motherfucker was Caspering it up for the remainder of the films. <laughs> Get out of here. So, here's here's something and I think you may remember I talked about this where they were going to continue the um National Lampoon's Vacation films uh and they were going to focus on the Griswold kids as adults. So as of right now, they're looking to definitely move ahead and they're going to do 
Um, they're going to try and obviously get back Chevy Chase, Beverly D'Angelo, and um, they're going to add a, a bunch of other actors that have been rumored to be involved in the role, including Chris Hemsworth, Charlie Day, um, Christina Applegate. And um, the funny thing is, Leslie Mann is going to be playing Audrey Griswold, allegedly. They say that she's been considering the role and, um, you know, she's, she may be involved and that the film is going to be start shooting soon. I, I, I'm sorry. She's probably a nice lady. But, yo, I can't stand Leslie Mann. Holy shit. It's like, as soon as I see a film by Judd Apatow, I'm like, fuck, we got to bring in his naggy, annoying fucking bitch wife into a movie. Damn. Dude, dude, every film she's in, she's always the... Dude, I just want to punch her in the eye. I don't know why. She's probably a nice lady, but yo, every movie, you you play the annoying bitch in everything. You're just annoying. Like that one movie that she was in with Paul Rudd, what the fuck was it? Knocked up, and then the the This Is 40. Yo, I just wanted to throw her out of a moving train. Besides the fact that we're getting uh, another another National Lampoon's film, which I'm sorry, no no John Candy, old cratchety fucking Chevy Chase. I don't think that shit's gonna be good. I don't either. I mean, Leslie Mann to be Audrey Griswold. I'm sorry, but she's a little too pretty for that role. I mean, Audrey was like kind of frumpy. <laughs> Go ahead. You could say she was a seven without elaborating too much. <laughs> oh shit! You could say that it's okay. There you go. But still, dude, dude, how many years has it been with the fucking Griswolds? I mean, yeah, you know, it it sounds promising, but who gives a shit at this point? Gives a shit. I just, I just want to let. I just want Jesus Christ, Mortis. I know. Holy shit. <laughs> Way to be the spoiler, Mortis, but I'm not going to say why, so it's okay. And um, Isaiah in the chat says, you can't evaporate by getting hit with a saber, though. Uh, Obi-Wan died, yes, but not by Vader. He just died on his own like Yoda died on his own. Sorry, I'm a Star Wars geek. It's okay, dude. It's okay. I was just fucking around. It's all right. Anyway, so unlike Obi-Wan, who may or may not be returning to the big screen after being evaporated by Darth Vader... um, Jason Bourne is coming back to the big screen. So uh, Matt Damon decided that he wanted to go and whoop people's ass because he got tired of Grumpy Cat making him look bad and is going back to the Jason Bourne role alongside Paul Greengrass. And um, they're still going to do a sequel to Jeremy Renner's uh, Bourne universe spinoff. But it looks like Jason Bourne is coming back to the big screen. I have no problem with this just because the Jason Bourne universe and the mythology and even the films themselves have been very very good even the one with grumpy cat was pretty solid and all i can all i can hope for is that they decide to finally bring both of them together in one fucking movie it would be good wouldn't it it's like oh look we're gonna spin this off because matt damon doesn't want to do any born movies oh he's coming back well maybe we should have both of the same fucking guys in the same fucking movie how about that (laughs) that's all i'm saying just just want to put that out there but um it, it's been a while but we do have some what the fuck movie news this week and no it is not what Mortis shared in the chat it is this and i know slick you're probably either gonna fall out of your chair or you're just gonna think it's complete bullshit um we are gonna get a reboot of i know what you did last summer 
Now, now, the fuck out of here. now, before we finish, before I finish that, I know what you did last summer came out in 1997. It had a sequel in 1998. Then it had another sequel in 2006. Just saying. It's Why? Like, I know what you did last summer, too. I know what Morning did last night. <laughs> Same thing you did tonight. <laughs> but, but, dude. Give him some tissue. Dude, it, the fact is you're doing this film and you're rebooting it. It hasn't even made 10 years since the third film. If you want to reboot a freaking horror franchise, at least reboot a good one. Fucking reboot Scream. Not for not, well, re, I think Scream is actually going to be rebooted as a TV show. So take that with a grain of salt. The only thing I can hope for in an I Know What You Did Last Summer reboot is that you once again bring Brandy back and throw her through various pieces of furniture like they did in the second one. I believe it was the second one or the third one that she was in. I don't fucking care. All I know is that you were running from a guy dressed as the Gordon's Fisherman. Well, you know, it's it's a new generation, so, you know, you can't use Brandy because she's not relevant anymore. So, you know, and I'm going to fucking do a ton of shit for this. Why not use Rhea? I would laugh my ass off. Well, but yeah, (laughs) but yeah, I know what you did last summer is getting a reboot. I hate to break it to you folks. I'm afraid I got some bad news. All right, so on the Marvel on the Marvel oh, side know, of things, one quick thing on the on the the Griswold, you know how I use for for all the Griswold? What Melissa McCarthy? Oh my God! Uh, come on, you know what the problem is with that? <laughs> I let let le, le, let me just go back one second. While I understand the comedy in that, you know what I what what saddens me that Melissa McCarthy will always be put in a movie, and she will always be put in a movie as comic relief, not because she's funny, but because she's fat. It bothers me to no end. Every movie they put her in, they're just like, hey, look at the fat, funny chick. Hey, look, she's fat and she's funny and lovable and huggable. Like, every film is always like that. And every film they put her in, they make her a dumpy, roly-poly piece of shit. And it bothers me to no end because it's like, can we just have a movie where the chick that's kind of plump or kind of overweight or whatever you want to call it, depending on what kind of a mindset you're in, is just funny for the sake of being funny and isn't funny because you want to relegate her to being fat comic relief. It's like that one chick with the with the English with the Australian accent that does the voice of a fucking kangaroo. Everything they put her in, it's like, yo, you're going to be the fat chick with the accent. Wow. Every film she's in, she was she was in Pain and Gain. She was the fat chick with the accent. Stop, you know. It's like, oh, come on, man. That one, that movie that 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 Melissa McCarthy did with Sandra Bullock. We're just gonna make you the fat cop. We're gonna make you the fat cop. Fat, angry, violent cop. That's it. Fat, angry, violent cop. Which of course is gonna lead to the easy jokes of I thought fat people were nice. <laughs> <laughs> come on, that's what the shit is. And I like Melissa McCarthy. I do. And and it's like the it's funny because you said it and I understood the context of why you were saying it. And again, it's it's what it's what Hollywood would say. But it's just the fact that people are like, oh, yeah, we're just going to put her in this movie because, yeah, it's it's not on the merit that she's funny. It's on the merit that she's fat. Honestly, I would put her in the movie on the merit that she's funny. And, and that's fine. She'd be a more believable grown up Audrey Griswold than the other chick. Yeah, well, Leslie Mann and her and her stupid nasally voice. Ugh. Ugh. Anyway, let's switch gears. Let's get into some Marvel news. Um, 
it looks like Scott Glenn, who many of you may know from Silence of the Lambs or the Bar- or the Born Ultimatum, will be joining Marvel's Daredevil on Netflix, and he will be playing Daredevil's mentor, Stick, who many of you know is a blind martial artist from the comics who actually was created by Frank Miller and taught Matt Murdock how to hone his senses and obviously leads to him becoming Daredevil. I think it's great that they're integrating his character in there and that we're really going full bore with the with just the inner workings of daredevil's origin instead of just making it blind lawyer fights crime you know because daredevil's mythology is very good like especially if you go into the stories that they always try to to share depending on who's writing like about his dad and his dad being a mob enforcer and all this stuff there's such great deep storytelling there and i like that they're actually going to do that and they're going to bring the character of stick in and make him part of that um charlie cox is going to be playing daredevil uh vincent d'onofrio will be playing the kingpin um deborah ann wall is going to be from true blood is going to be on the cast as is rosario dawson uh, Daredevil will debut on Netflix next year. Thoughts? Well, I would hope that Rosario Dawson is going to be Alexa. There's a there's a lot of rumors pointing in that direction. Don't quote me on it, but there are rumors that are pointing in that direction. Of course, once I hear more, I will definitely share it with you guys. But I definitely feel that that casting would work. I just like seeing Rosario Dawson in as, as little clothing as possible. That's okay. I understand. But yes, I, I do think that she could pull off a lecture. <laughs> we do have base needs. I understand. It's okay. <laughs> um... On the on the prequel side of things, I talked about the um, the King Kong sequel, which is uh, Skull Island, and they're um, actually casting Tom Hiddleston to be the lead in that film. Uh, the film is going to focus obviously on life on the life of King Kong before he was taken to New York, and obviously all the other inhabitants of Skull Island. I think the film has the potential to be pretty decent. I think that the King Kong mythology as a whole, depending on which film you see, has a lot of crazy shit because you got the, the, the crazy guys that, that sacrificed, um, that were trying to sacrifice, you know, uh, Fay Ray's character to King Kong. You got the random dinosaurs running around on the island, depending on which version you see, and countless other crazy things. So... I, I think expanding on the mythology a little bit would be very interesting. I just hope they don't go super serious like they did with, um, you know, the more modern version of King Kong with uh, Adrian Brody, which was okay. I just felt that that film, it got to a point where it was taking itself way too fucking seriously. I'm like, dude, you got a giant gorilla punching a T-Rex in the face, and then you're going to spend 20 minutes focusing on Naomi Watts' emotionless face and then he gets shot, and he falls off the Empire State Building. He's dead. Roll credits. That's it, dude. Like, like, stop trying to make it super dramatic. It's a giant monkey that fights other shit. That's it. No need for the theatricality and the, and the overdone dramatic aspect of the film. Make the film fun. Have some fun with it. Like, if you're going to have Tom Hiddleston be involved and you're going to do Skull Island, make it, make it be a journey the same way that they did with the original Jurassic Park. Remember when you saw Jurassic Park and, and when it got to the point where you finally saw dinosaurs on screen, it was fucking amazing. You were blown away because you were like, wow, that looks fucking awesome. We don't get that anymore. I hope I hope that the that Skull Island is a return to that type of filmmaking where you just you look at the screen and you're just like wow you know like I, I actually felt that way when I saw the trailer for Interstellar with Matthew McConaughey and obviously people are gonna be like oh that movie's gonna be some long drawn out dull shit but just the visuals alone you're like holy shit same thing with Gravity 
Yeah, don't get me wrong. Gravity's pretty much Sandra Bullock screaming that she's spinning for 25 minutes out of the movie. But still, the the, the visuals alone were just amazing. They were mind-blowing. You'd watch them, you're like, wow, this is pretty badass, you know? Uh, I'm going to just let you roll, run with that one. <laughs> I haven't seen Gravity. I really don't intend to see Gravity. Oh, dude, you got to see it. Enjoyed it. You got to see it. Dude, you got to see it, man. It's especially because you got a big ass TV. Oh, if you want to have nightmares and fucking vertigo. Oh, you got to watch that shit. You're like, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, it was crazy. I mean, like I said, it's very it's a little drawn out. But but the story's pretty solid, and just the visuals, man. The visuals just, especially if you got a, a solid TV and a good Blu-ray or a good Blu-ray or a good home theater. Oh, it's fantastic, dude. Fantastic. You gotta watch that shit when you're bored, <laughs> or watch it with like you know with like a group of people and be like, holy shit, that's pretty badass. Otherwise, eh. Like I watched it because I I bought the Blu-ray and I said, fuck, I bought the Blu-ray. I better sit down and watch this shit. But it was surprisingly awesome, dude. I watched it and I was just like, I put on my 3D glasses. I was just like, yeah, I'm probably gonna have a panic attack after watching this. It was. I want to put on my freaking big screen TV. What's that? I want to put a big fat fucking lizard, watch him go Super Saiyan, and French kiss a fucking giant roach with fire. Ah, yes. That's what I want to watch good on old, my big screen. Good old Godzilla, indeed. Well, you know, we got we got some what the fuck movie news. We got some what the fuck TV news. Uh, Deadline is reporting that Scott Armstrong, who many of you know from his involvement with Old School and The Hangover, is going to be adapting a 1990 comedy for NBC. Now... I want to. I, I want you to think about comedies in the '90s and give me one comedy that comes to mind from a film being adapted for TV. Joe versus the volcano. Interesting, but no. Here's and that's a good one. Joe versus the volcano is actually not a not a bad not a bad choice. I I was thinking I was thinking you know there were some pretty decent comedies in the '90s. It's going to be Problem Child. <laughs> the original Problem Child and its sequel earned $72 million on a $10 million budget. Had two sequels. Obviously, um, the first film uh, was memorable in every sense of the word with John Ritter. The second film was equally enjoyable. Um, I really thought it was, it, was a, it was a fun film. I really enjoyed it. But I don't know how much you can get away with in in on television especially on nbc with with something like problem child because he did a lot of foul shit so you gotta either you know teeter teeter that line a little bit or it's not gonna be as successful as you'd like you know what i think about this go ahead can you pass me one of those big big ass cans of pudding (laughs) i like that mortis said they're not rebooting home alone (laughs) mortis man i'd rather see that Mortis, Mortis, you, you, you've opened Pandora's box. I swear, if within the next six months, I, re- I'm, I'm reporting about a Home Alone reboot. I'm gonna send you something in the mail. <laughs> but, but seriously, I mean, and it won't be pudding. No, it won't be put. It won't be pudding. But in all seriousness, I mean, I understand it's, it, it's a, it's a cute type of a story that you can kind of do but i just feel that the humor especially in the second one when he made all those kids vomit at the same time on the on the on the amusement park ride you can't do that shit on national television it's impossible no it would be one of those off-screen things yep anyway 
let's bring it home with a with a couple of uh, other news stories to wrap things up. Uh, we're, it looks like we are going to be getting Paranormal Activity 5 coming out March 13th, 2015. Why? Because the movies cost $5 to make and because you can use a Kinect <laughs> to detect ghosts. Sure, why not? Let's do another one. Not a problem. Sure thing. All good. But aside from that, there is something good coming in 2016 that Mortis did mention, and that is that Fox is pulling the trigger on a Deadpool movie. And Ryan Reynolds is still attached. Tim Miller will direct with the script from Rhett Reese and Paul Wernick. Uh, the script has had, you know, a lot of fans excited about the possibilities of the film. Uh, the demo reel was legit. And, dude, I am pumped. I am definitely pumped. The only problem is that the movie's going to be... I don't know why is it going to be freaking CGI. Well, we don't know if it's going to be CGI. I think they used the demo reel just to sell the concept. But you know what? Well, the only other thing that I have a problem with is that a Deadpool movie should not be PG-13. It should not. But you know what? how you can get away with it being uh, PG-13 if you do it in CGI? Because then you could, you know, the blood is, is fake. Now, the language, that's another story. <laughs> well, Deadpool doesn't, I mean, I mean, doesn't do a whole lot of cursing because, I mean, right. he, he can just get away with being an asshole. Well, it's I juvenile. Everybody around him is going to be cursing. It's juvenile cursing. You know what I mean? Deadpool's character is more juvenile cursing, but the amount of violence that's associated with the character warrants an R-rated film. But if you keep it CGI, you might be able to skirt that and go the PG-13 route. I am happy that it's getting made. I just, I continue to express frustration in, you know, the 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 separate Marvel universes established by studios. Because not for nothing, Deadpool should be an Easter egg in every Marvel movie. In every... Dude, and I mean, I mean, you don't even gotta be, to quote, to quote what um Robert Downey Jr. said as Sherlock Holmes, it's so overt, it's covert. You know what I mean? Like, he should just pop out like like the Avengers are fighting in the middle of the street and you just see Wade Wilson in full Deadpool gear walking into a grocery store, looking at the camera and just smiling. Or you see, like, you know how they always draw him with one eye big and one small? Just looking at the camera like that. Yeah, just, I mean, go ahead. he should be the new Stan Lee. Yep. Just Deadpool popping up in random places. You don't even got to go crazy with it. Which, which, you know, it, it was the crazy thing about about a Deadpool movie, right? I don't want a good Deadpool movie. I want a really, really bad Deadpool movie. What I mean by that is, I don't even want a story. I just want to see Deadpool randomly running into other Marvel characters and pissing them off. Yep. Well, you know what? The I want to f- see Deadpool piss off Galactus. Oh, jeez. Now, now, you know what the thing is with his character? It's it's exactly what you said. You could use him like Stan Lee. Like you, like you know what'd be funny? Spider Man swinging through like Midtown, and you see like a Deadpool taco truck. You know what I mean? Or a Deadpool chimichanga wagon? Like something random but subtle. You know what I mean? Like like Marvel loves to do Easter eggs. Deadpool should be an Easter egg in every film. The same way, the same way that the directors of Captain America allegedly put an Easter egg that the Punisher was involved in Captain America and the Winter Soldier. By the way, <laughs> yeah, I heard that one. Yep, 
so, to see it though. <clears throat> so the funny thing is, I mean, the the Easter egg for the Punisher, the best Easter egg was the one from Amazing Spider-Man Two, where Thomas Jane was in full Punisher gear when Mary Jane's running through the streets in her wedding dress. But um. I definitely commend them for just acknowledging the overall Marvel Universe. And for those of you that don't know, the Punisher is part of the Marvel Universe again. So it's all good. I mean, you know, we'll we'll see what happens with that character. But I also wanted to mention that Deadpool's release led to the re- to the uh, reshuffling of the Fantastic Four reboot, which is fine because I don't give a shit. And um, it's also going to be competing against the big screen version of Assassin's Creed which, of course, is heading to the big screen. So definitely a, a very, very crowded, crowded calendar when Deadpool hits the theaters. But I will say this. I have high hopes for Assassin's Creed. Of course, Michael Fassbender being involved is, is, is very positive. And I think that if you do the Assassin's Creed film right, you can create that into a very, very lucrative franchise because you could take that in so many different directions. Did they say who they're, like, um, which assassin they're using? No. A lot of people are saying that he's going to obviously be Desmond, you know, Desmond Miles, and then the question will be whether he's going to jump into, you know, Altair or jump into Ezio, which if he jumps into Ezio's world and you have some fun with that, I think you could you could create a, a, a really badass movie. But, you know, they may go another route and just use something totally, you know, totally new, which is okay. I mean, I, I would like to see that, you know, just to see the Ezio auditory story on the big screen. I think that there's so much depth and so much, so many great characters in that story, plus historical significance. There's even a rumor that um, they wanted Robert Downey Jr. to play Leonardo da Vinci. So as soon as I read that, I said, shit, we might get Ezio on the big screen. So you never know, but either way, dude, I'm hyped. Honestly, I, I mean, at least for one movie, I'd rather see Altair. I mean, I think that that story was not developed as much as it could have been. I mean, I know people love Ezio, but I don't know. I just, I like Ezio too, but I, I Ezio has more personality. Right. Story-wise, I, I just think that there was more to tell with Altair. I think Altair's story might be good to use as the beginning of the film. You know what I mean? Like, like just establishing the narrative and then you go into into, you know, Ezio's story, because I think Ezio's story can probably fill a good part of that film. Altair, you could use and then obviously you can jump into different parts of Ezio's story, even to the point where, you know, one of the scenes in the game where he visits the grave of Altair, it kind of brings the story full circle. And I'd love to see that on the big screen. I mean, I think that there's so many directions you could go with the Assassin's Creed mythology and the Assassin's Creed universe that, you know, I'm really hype. I like the actors that are involved. It, it just looks in, in, incredibly promising. It, it, we'll see how that goes. But again, um, it's going to be a very, very interesting 2015. Like I said, so many, so many good films in there. And um, it's going to be incredibly competitive. That's for sure. Um, I just want to see some new, like, I want to see some new movies. And when I, you know exactly what I mean when I say that. Yep. I mean, I, I like the idea that video games are starting to come to the screen. I mean, I, I really would like to see a prototype movie. I, I think that could really make a good movie. But again, it's something that would really need to be rated R. Right. Um, and I want them to. I would like them to actually focus more on the main character because otherwise it just looks like another zombie movie. Right. Um, I just 
oh, I just really am I'm tired of like remakes, reboots, sequels, and I just want to see something fresh. Right, I understand. I respect that. I mean, it, 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 we're in a very, very interesting phase, you know, especially because, you know, Marvel's pretty much running roughshod over the box office that we're, we're, still, we're still stuck in superhero movie mode. And I think we're going to be stuck in that for the foreseeable future, especially if Marvel continues cranking out movies that make two, three, four, five hundred million dollars. Some of them head into billion dollar titles. And with that, you know, it's it's going to create that landscape and shift that landscape for the foreseeable future. And everybody's going to go with the safe bet of doing the comic book movie. But I agree there. I think there there's a great opportunity to bring things that are interesting and unique I mean, like I said, you know, Interstellar definitely looked promising. That was really cool. I mean, even even Inception, which, you know, people love or hate the film. Dude, it was unique as hell, you know? Movie. Yeah, but whether whether you loved or you hated that it. That movie was not unique. You don't think so? That movie was a bunch of video games left together. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Inception was Grand Theft Auto, Elevator Action, and Call of Duty lumped together. Oh, my God. <laughs> I am. I am not. I Y'all am can not. come and try to fucking lynch me. I don't care. I will say it while I'm in the news. There you go. All right. Fuck that movie. Well, there you have it. Slick made his uh, his feelings very well known on Inception. Um, with that said, that actually wraps up the entertainment news for the week and the show as well. Is there anything else you want to add? No, I'm good. All right, my friend. Thank you for the assist this week. Let's wrap things up. All right. So, entertainment news are a wrap. Uh, My Take Radio episode 244 is in the books. A couple of things before we wrap up. Uh, Be on the lookout for my review of the Samsung Galaxy Gear Fit, which Samsung was kind enough to send me. And um, pretty solid review. I think that the overall usage of the device is, is, is good. I I think certain parts of it need improvement, but it was a pretty good device as a whole. Uh, You can check out the full review on Rageworks and also on our colleague's website, which is royalflushmagazine.com. For mytakeradio.com, we are going to probably make a couple of other adjustments. We're going to continue archiving articles over the next couple of days, and I'm going to actually start focusing on doing blog posts on mytakeradio.com, just focusing on equipment and certain facets of the show that we just don't get to touch on as much with regards to some of the gear we use and some of the products that are really an integral part of bringing my take radio to you guys uh with that said uh we're gonna wrap up the show my take radio returns next wednesday at 11 p.m eastern 8 p.m pacific of course covering mixed martial arts and professional wrestling we're gonna have the fallout of night of champions which our team will be live blogging this sunday and then of course join us thursday at 11 p.m eastern 8 p.m pacific to talk gaming and entertainment you good all right buddy thanks for calling in all right please peace all right guys on behalf of myself slick quark blade andrea josh and the rest of the mtr family i will catch you guys next week let's get the hell out of here shall we peace Our outro music this week is Streets of Rage, Streets of Rave 
by Amphibious, and you can find that at ocremix.org. The letter O, the letter C, remix.org. Again, join us next Wednesday at 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific, for MMA and Wrestling for My Take Radio, episode 245. You can find archives on mytakeradio.com, rageworks.net, and also subscribe via iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. If you are getting the shows via iTunes, we'd really appreciate a five-star review. It would help us get further in the rankings and just help us reach new audiences. Thanks for listening. I'm out of here. Peace.